So I think this is a very timely period where a particular generation of students and people will actually say, oh, 2020 was the year that I actually know what this is what I'm actually good at. Technology right now could actually be that um, catalyst. Oh, hi everyone, and welcome to the EdTech Podcast and this series episode of the VocTech Podcast, Learning Continued, which seeks to explore the intersection of adult learning and tech. My name is Sophie Bailey, and our mission is to improve the dialogue between ed and tech for better innovation and impact. A big shout out to UFI VocTech Trust and UFI Ventures for supporting this series and vocational skills development in the UK through their investments and grants in vocational technology. In this series episode, I'm chatting to guests about the early careers space and what the response for young people going into the world of work has been amidst the pandemic. But before we kick off, here's a message calling our US listeners to an opportunity for funding for technical education. Hi, I'm Richard Petty, and I currently coordinate the US Department of Education's efforts on criminal justice reform, workforce development, and the future of work. Last year, my team began thinking about how to ensure that rural students are able to obtain the tech skills that will be demanded in the coming years. I saw the disparity in access to tech education firsthand when I worked in Mississippi, where students in the Delta don't have the same opportunities as their peers in Jackson. We wanted to solve this problem. So last month, we launched the Rural Tech Project, a $600,000 challenge seeking innovative solutions that use distance learning to provide rural communities access to high-quality programs and technology-related career pathways with the goal of increasing instructional capacity and preparing students for the careers of today and tomorrow. The Department of Education invites high schools and local education agencies to propose technology education programs that use competency-based distance learning. Up to five finalists will each receive an equal share of the initial $500,000 cash prize pool and progress to phase two, a two-year implementation period. They will have on-the-ground assistance, expert mentorship, and access to virtual resources as they plan, run, refine, and report on their programs. One grand prize winner will receive an additional $100,000. To learn more, please visit RuralTechProject.com. Thanks, Richard. And you can find out more about this project through Richard's guest blog at the edtechpodcast.com forward slash blog. We'd like to do more to connect the dots and improve innovation. So if you'd like to join in with our VocTech episode recordings when they take place, connecting with our guests and offering up questions, let us know by introducing yourself and what you do in a short email to the edtechpodcast at gmail.com as we will be building a small community of like-minded people soon. Right, that's all for now. Have a great week. And if you enjoy this episode, do feel free to rate and review us wherever you listen in. Okay, let's go. So let's get to it. So today we are joined by investors, entrepreneurs and graduate interns, all interested in innovation around young people, skills development and employment in the age of COVID. To put things into context, here in the UK, until the recent government kickstart campaign, 
Much of the COVID-19 response has arguably been around early years in schools or around traditional employers and job retention. But what about the 7 million people aged 16 to 24? With internships, apprenticeships and traditional volunteering opportunities all closing down to some extent, what opportunity is there to support young people better and through the use of technology? So some numbers to put this into context. Uh, on apprenticeships, the Department for Education guidance during COVID was for training providers to, I quote, deliver training to apprentices remotely and via e-learning as far as is practicable. Yet FE News reported in late April that where 304 training providers had between them planned 13,732 apprenticeship starts in the month, they had actually only achieved 2,693 missing their pre-coronavirus expectations by 80%. Internships are also down, with Lloyds and Santander examples of large companies who have cancelled their summer internship schemes. HSBC has also delayed the start dates for all graduate recruits and interns, while the US investment bank Goldman Sachs has pushed back start dates for two rounds of internships. So more on this from a recent Guardian article. I quote, BDO, the UK's fifth largest accounting firm, has paused the recruitment of new trainees and cancelled its summer internships. BDO has also furloughed first-year trainees and apprenticeships among 700 staff who will see 80% of their wages paid by the government. All this is adding up to a bleak picture. Again in the UK, a fifth of all those claiming out-of-work benefits are aged between 18 and 24. The number of young new claimants who have signed on to benefits between March and June is 276,000, more than doubling over three months. And the overall jobless rate was unchanged in this period, but there are 47,000 more young people unemployed than there were a year ago. According to the Resolution Foundation, one third of 18 to 24 year old employees have lost jobs or been furloughed during the pandemic, compared to one in six adults above that age. And many of these young employees work in the hospitality sector or the retail sector, which have been particularly hard hit. Meanwhile, looking at university students, a Wonk HE Pearson survey of 3,500 current students in England and Wales recently found that 49% of respondents said that as a result of COVID-19, they felt less confident that they are ready to progress to the next step in their educational career. And of these, 43% said they plan to defer their university place, either to take a year out or to look for work experience. And a further 20% said they plan to leave education entirely. So, demand for work experience and internship is very much there, yet big employers have largely not responded with the same kind of digital innovation we have seen among schools and universities. So, what is going wrong and how can the early careers market do better? So, Femi, um, if I may, I'm going to start with you. Um, you're, awesome. 20, you're 21. You graduated last year in accounting with great promise from a private Nigerian university, uh, Babcock, which is expert in producing graduate professionals like lawyers and engineers. And you started an internship at KPMG in January, working on client work for the Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation on risk. Um, COVID hit, as we all know, and a travel ban came in and the internship was effectively stopped. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about your experience and how uh, the last few weeks have sort of made you feel and, and how you've kind of adapted to your circumstances. Thank you, Sophie, for the privilege again to be here. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, so, like you said, Sophie, I was at Abuja, 
because we on a team were um, consulting with Brennan PC. Then I got um, transferred back to Lagos. And in that period, I was in a state of um, uncertainty, like, um, because um, I was wondering, do I still keep in touch with my team? Or do I, you know, life is about value and how much value you provide to wherever sphere you are. So I was always daily keeping in touch with them through emails, but it kind of felt like um, I wasn't sure I will be retained because the work I was doing there is, uh, you know, is on pause. And I'm, a, I'm an intern. So in my mind, as a young graduate with someone that was probably looking for a promising uh, future, it's now looking quite blurry. So I said, oh, what, what would I do right now? And I said, okay, I'm going to develop myself. I'm going to start taking courses. I'm going to start looking outside my horizon. Because if, if I believe that the only opportunities that I have are only in Nigeria and Africa, I will be stranded. So I said, what would uh, someone my age, so a Generation Z, what will I do? What will the Zuma like me do? So I used the power of the internet. So I began taking courses, started making connections. And uh, in line with my passion, which is educational technology, esports, and um, I think I have a skill about uh, with networking. So I see, I started attending webinars, um, KPMG UK webinars, KPMG US webinars, KPMG Australia webinars, you know, just to put my, my footprints in the, in, the, in, the in, the, in the internet space. And um, along the line, I kind of felt, you know, uh, is everything still going to make sense in the end? But, you know, there's still uh, 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 an ideal faith, you know. So I was just, you know, just winging it, uh, just putting one step after the other. Um, along the line, I've come to understand that um, there will be no new normal. There will be no normal like before. And it's um, the, the, the ability for students, the graduates, to harness the power of, of the Internet is what will probably play in the future of any student right now. Because right now, um, I've gotten some certifications in online education, um, but, you know, still in that place of, will they retain me? You know, I'm an intern, and whatever value I was providing, it was just to be, you know, evaluated on, you know, saying, oh, you did so well on this project, and we're going to retain you. Uh, so now uh, I am not, I'm not able to provide the proposed value I was meant to. So it's, I'm in the state of an uncertainty. But not what not in mind, not um, disregarding the fact that um, COVID has happened. I do not let it um, happen to me, but I look at how it can happen for me. And that is why I think I, I'm grateful, you know, to be connected, to share my experience. So what I'm presently doing that I started in November last year was that um, I, I, I got a, a gut feeling to start something to relate to education and um, as an initiative to help people understand um, the bridge between what's being taught in school and what is expected in the real world. And um, it's getting clearer daily, um, but not really um, clearly defined yet. Because right now I understand that people, maybe people a year behind me are more confused than I am. You know, I started an internship. Sophie, you, you understand what I'm saying? There are some people that are a year behind me now, and their own case is that they haven't even left school. So they don't even know what to expect. So I'm probably hoping to give like a, what I call it a mentorship experience to, with a little experience that I've gotten, you know, to help people. So right now, I'm in a state of um, my daily routine is just developing myself, making connections, um, attending co conferences and webinars, and you know, hopefully, you know, it, it all makes sense in the end. I mean, that's that's absolutely uh, brilliant that you've been sort of 
so proactive in your self-directed learning and I know that we, when we spoke before you talked about you know immersing yourself and doing YouTube tutorials and Microsoft yeah. um, educator skills courses online and networking through yeah. LinkedIn um, yes. but do, you, do you feel that kind of um, you know you're obviously doing an internship with a, a large employer do you feel that they um, could have done more in terms of making better use of technology to sort of continue a formal internship or what's your kind of perspective on that? Um, KPMG is an awesome um, multinational um, but with, with that in mind I also understand a different um, hierarchy of authority different um, continents so probably the organizational structure in UK is probably different from the one in Australia the one in um, um, Australia is probably different from the one in US so in comparison to the level of um, adaptability in response to COVID, it varies according to countries. So um, in US, I have been studying them. They, they give webinars at least, I think, weekly or twice in a week. You know, but in Nigeria, it's more like um, one in a week, once in a week. Um, Australia, probably once in a week also. So um, there's a kind of like um, uh, a level of um, response it varies it according to countries i've also attended some in nigeria but i also saw that some started on virtual internships um but it's 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 it's, it's active you know but um I could, reading upon it i saw that it's not meant to be included in your resume but it's just meant to be you know on a linkedin profile so i'm like oh, well i really want to dedicate like my hours to something that would not be you know included in my resume so uh, I kind of like looked at it from an opportunity cost um, point of view. Like what would I spend to gain? The experience I'm probably going to get in the virtual experience. I had already gotten like about three months of life experience. So I weighed the odds and looked at the data and said, no, I probably just continue this role I'm going and, you know, keep in touch with my teammates and, you know, keep networking. But in U.S., they, they have started um, virtual internships. Interesting. So it's, so it's quite inconsistent at the moment. Um, yeah. I, I, one kind of, um, you know, point of hope, I suppose, I, I read yesterday is that some of the internships that have been shelved, uh, those people have automatically will be entered into graduate recruitment final rounds. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that, that's, I suppose, one way that they're sort of dealing with it. Um, yeah. So um, thank you very much, Femi. And, and Jenna, we'll, we'll move, to, move to you before we come to Nick and Lucy and some of the sort of solutions that are being proposed as well. But Jenna, could you tell me a little bit about your experience graduating a few years ago and the sort of disjunct you experienced between, uh, you know, what you did on your university formal education and then sort of going out into the world of work as well? Yeah, so I um, was always really interested in media studies and always did really well in media studies, um, sort of starting at a GCC level. So went on to do a degree in media and communications with language as well. But it was the media side that I was always really interested in. And I went through three years of my degree, really, with out touching a camera without even making like a magazine front cover, for example. Um, so I came out at 22, 21, 22 out of uni and um, went to apply for jobs. And they said, okay, we want two years experience in industry or two years experience in, in media. And can we see your portfolio? And I had spent three years writing theory essays and had nothing to show them. So I kind of felt like I was coming out of university 
and having to start my learning again. I then had to teach myself how to use um, a video camera, teach myself how to video edit. For In terms of portfolio stuff, I had to go back to GCSE and say, do you happen to still have any of my stuff? If not, I've got to start from scratch. And um, part of like the program that I want to offer now is telling young people, you know, at 16 or at 14 or whenever, if you want to work in these industries, what can you be doing now? What skills can you be doing now that you can take forward to employers and say, I can give, you know, added value to your business. I can start you a podcast. I can, um, you know, video edit for your social media as we move further and further into this digital sphere um, to, to make them more employable, to potentially you know, pay for themselves in terms of what they can offer a new business. And that was definitely something that I lacked. I lacked a lot of guidance in what I should be doing in terms of once this education stops, you're going to have to go out there and get a job. And these are the questions they're going to ask you. What can you be preparing now for when you're asked those things in interview? And what skills can you be gaining now instead of, you know, learning about the theory of media and digital industry is obviously really good, but you don't get really asked about that in interviews and stuff. And I just wish I'd have had that guidance at 16 to say, um, right, now is the time to start really be pushing on those skills. And if I understand correctly, you're 25 now. Yes, that's right. Okay, brilliant. Just to put everything into context of it. And as a response to sort of COVID, uh, you've kind of pivoted from providing sort of digital support to companies to uh, providing that support to individuals to equip themselves as the market sort of changes. Is that right? That's it. Yeah. So at 22, once I'd sort of like taught myself how to use um, cameras and and video editing and stuff like that, I uh, went through the Prince's Trust. Um, so I started up a business with them at 22, and that was providing video for um, SMEs. It started with, and then it kind of it, it grew into um, bigger companies and podcasts and stuff. But having this time to reflect, what I want to sort of pivot a little bit and do is also teach young people how to be able to offer those things moving forward because I think businesses are going to have to move online a lot more even if they don't want to they're going to have to communicate via video uh, via podcast via social media we're just going further and further into this digital world and if we can you know like equip young people to be able to give added value um, and get them ready for that really um, I think there's absolutely huge value in that. And I think it's something that they're going to probably need to be able to do when they're they're young and in that sort of world already. Build on those skills, I think. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, and Lucy and Nick, so Jenna and Femi have sort of described their experiences being far from brilliant and how they've sort of adapted to, to COVID in terms of, uh, you know, thinking about careers, etc. Um, so I just wondered if you could explain some of your big ideas around the early careers market. Yeah, thanks, Sophie. It was really, really interesting to hear um, Femi and Jenna's experience there. Um, I run an organisation called SortYourFuture.com. So we are 
an online platform that helps to connect young people with um, employment and career opportunities. And we've seen over the last uh, few months a a big change in the way that employers are approaching this market as um, Jenna and um, Femi's experience kind of shows. I think what Jenna is doing is is particularly relevant in that it's focusing on what people can do right now to um, adapt to uh, what is a, a changing, changing space. Um, and so one of the things that we've been trying to do is unearth for people some of the opportunities that are still out there um, and, and give a little bit of hope, I guess, in mm. what is a very, very anxious and a worrying time for a lot of young people who are entering the job market for the first time. Um, so that's been um, showing what online learning opportunities there are, some of the things that Femi has been doing, you know, um, taking online courses. We've been trying to show young people what's out there in that sense, um, but also maybe um, showing some of the options that exist beyond some of those large corporate grad schemes and internship schemes, which have been paused or put on hold while employers deal with a a huge crisis, obviously. Um, So tech co's, small companies, there are still opportunities that are out there. And we've been trying to to present those to young people through our platform to show that there is is still stuff that you can do whilst all this is going on. Fantastic. And and I'd love to come back to you on the Kickstart programme as well, because I've got a, I'm very interested in that. But um, and Nick, perhaps we could hear from you as well. Yeah, sure. Um, as long as you're not going to talk about my uh, age as well. Um, <laughs> so we we were coming at things from a different perspective. I'm an investor with Blackfinch uh, Ventures, part of the Blackfinch Group, run by uh, Richard Cook, um, and we invest in high growth tech startups. Um, and so our motivation wasn't particularly uh, around young people and helping them find opportunities. Um, our interest was was very much our portfolio of uh, these you know agile young uh, startups, and as COVID hit, we were looking for ways to help them, and uh, obviously lots of ways we 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 could, but we realised there was an opportunity for them because we guessed that there were some of these people, uh, and we were particularly thinking university researchers uh, and and students um, who were unable to do their own normal work, um, some of them at least, um, who had some amazing skills that would be really helpful to uh, our startup companies. Uh, and um, you know, clearly, a lot of the, the startups were having to conserve costs and um, you know, look, look to, to shrink back in some ways. But they're, unlike some of the big multinationals, they're also very... You know, opportunity hungry, agile, and can see that actually, yes, there is an opportunity. There are some of these amazing skills that these young people have uh, that we could benefit from. Uh, and so uh, they, they, they have that opportunity if we could match them up. Um, and so what we did was uh, work with a set of 20 partners, uh, some investors, some universities, and, and, and a few others, um, to launch an initiative called Isolation Intern. Uh, and the, the point of this was for uh, startup companies to list opportunities they had, short-term, flexible, importantly, that could be done remotely, 
uh, and then it promoted on the other side to uh, university uh, researchers, students and, and, and others uh, like that who had those skills could apply to the, the jobs. Um, and, uh, and so that's what we did. Fantastic. I mean, and I think um, having spoken to all of you, there, there, there's, you know, there are opportunities out there, aren't there? And it's about, you know, how do you kind of um, scale that up? Uh, just going back to the the kickstart program um, you know in the UK the government have responded to the young being disproportionately hard hit by launching kickstart so just to describe that a little bit um, which will see the government funding cover 100% of the minimum wage for 25 hours a week in the scheme which will be open to all employers across Britain um, and it will directly pay employers to create new jobs for any 16 to 24 year old at risk of long-term unemployment and when I was kind of looking into this, it, you know, it's quite interesting because obviously at the beginning we talked about apprenticeships uh, sort of largely being um, shelved or paused to some extent. And it, it feels a little bit that, like this may sort of be um, a resurrection of the same idea, um, albeit slightly repackaged. And I just wondered if um, there's a way that we can make, you know, rather than reinventing, there's a way we can make our existing schemes a bit more resilient and, and think about, the sort of hybrid or blended nature that um, you know we're having to do with uh, within schools or within uh, the workplace as well. Um, just wondered if anyone's got any comments on that. Yeah, I think there's um, there is a really interesting question there about that scheme and the detail and whether it will affect. Um, other existing provision like apprenticeships I know some people are quite concerned that it might um, prevent some people from taking on apprenticeships which could um, last longer than this scheme will so I think there's there's something kind of interesting there but I also think there's um there is a an issue around the agility and the ability to to deliver some of this online and I think because employers have perhaps been so focused on dealing with this crisis um, they maybe haven't had to in the way that schools and universities have adapt to this online environment in in quite the same way in, in an enforced way if you like so now is the time I guess for employers to really step up and figure out what they can do to offer a really good internship experience or really good grad scheme experience online. Um, and I think there are some universities and schools that have done that really well. Uh, it's been a real challenge, I know. But um, yeah, now is the time for employers to, to, to step up, I guess, and, and take that on themselves. I think uh, from, from my point of view, I, I, I think it's less about at this stage coming up with a really good scheme as actually just getting on with it and trying it and then learning and adapting as mm. they go. I think they, they, my concern with, with larger organisations would be that they tend to try and come up with these really good schemes, um, and, but take too long about it. And actually, we, yeah. we need something here and now. Wait, don't wait for it to be perfected. Get on with it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of funding as well. So um, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and it was about a, um, a select committee report on um, the digital economy and trust. And, uh, you know, part of that was this idea of um, sort of taxing the big five tech companies. And rather than this being seen as a sort of, uh, you know, taxing free information um, and the knowledge economy, like, you know, think of it as we're moving away from being able to get our revenues from 
the petro economy and so uh -huh. you know it has to come from somewhere um and so in terms of funding you've got you know google announcing 100,000 uh, scholarships you've got universities uk uh telling its you know universities within the uk to promote paid internships for the class of 2020 uh, because obviously they ha also have to show that uh, they are providing value when everything's slightly different. And then you've got, uh, you know, the, the, the role of the state. So I just wondered from a kind of funding mechanism point of view, where should young people be supported um, and by whom? Ultimately, I, I think you know, companies need to to do a certain amount. Um, yeah, they're the ones who can who will benefit. You know, they should benefit in the short term from the work that's done. Um, and they should benefit even more in the long term if if they develop you know, good uh, uh, employees. Um, but there's definitely going to be a place for for government as well. Uh, the question is what what form of support is going to encourage the companies to do that. Um, and the danger is with a, a short term scheme is yes, that's great. But what happens afterwards? Um, there's a lot of uncertainty for companies at the moment. They don't know, you know, quite what the situation is going to be like in six months. So if it's only six months funding, that's maybe not enough. Um, maybe something at a lower level, but for longer, would be more valuable. And and Lucy, um, just thinking of you because this is sort of your your bread and butter, as it were. Um, you know, we've got the idea of the Green New Deal. Um, so, you know, whilst we're uh, in this crisis, making the most of the opportunity to sort of redirect investment and um, bolster parts of the economy as well. Um, so, you know, creating jobs for laying insulation and so on. Um, and then again, with universities, if any of those are sort of financially struggling, the bailouts will come with conditions on, you know, focusing more on student employability. Um, so I just wondered if, you know, is there an opportunity here to also... Uh, redirect focus um, on young people, but also on a really targeted approach to the jobs that are growing. So whether that's, you know, uh, data scientists or carers, um, you know, whether whether there's the ability for the sector to come together and, and really sort of push for change in that way as well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. I think um, there are opportunities through the way um, government funding is distributed and and how that's um, uh, what conditions I guess are applied to that to encourage growth in certain areas um, and I think obviously we're in a, a massively shifting labour market at the moment um, we'll we're seeing huge changes to to uh, major industries that will play out over many, many years ahead. And I think there's, there is an opportunity now to, to think about what the economy could be like in the future and direct support to those industries that really need it. Um, you know, you mentioned the care sector. I think that that's a, a case in point. Um, and actually, I think some of the, the, the job schemes could perhaps be um, refined and focused to encourage um, growth in those areas and encourage young people to consider career options that are likely to support a green green economy, the, the kind of economy that we, we would all want to see in the future. Um, and I'm going to pick on Richard now because Richard's been very quiet. <laughs> Um, so Richard, here's a question. Um, COVID-19 has largely accelerated trends in learning and technology. What have we got right and what have we got wrong along the way? That's unfair. 
But anyone um, can jump in. The, the, uh, so, so I read, I think I read or heard that Microsoft seemed to believe that um, we've had two years worth of sort of digital education um, and upskilling uh, in the last sort of two or three months, which is actually uh, sort of quite significant. Hmm. Um, what have we got? What have we got wrong? I, I, I think it's too early to say, actually. I think there's been um, a significant amount of reaction to the situation rather than actually proactive planning and how do we actually build out our uh, either tech stack or, or um, how we operate our business long term um, with the robustness that, that we need to deal with these type of situations going forward if they if they do uh, if they do reoccur. Um, I, don't, I do think that I'm just picking up on some of the things that were said earlier. I, I mm. do think um, I think it's a massive opportunity actually if there's a way of actually you know with with the economy sitting the way it is you know if there's an uh, if there's a way of us to be able to connect people that have been in in industry for a while with people that are coming now into the industry there's a real opportunity from the startups perspective in actually bringing those sort of two skill sets together right um i think also is you know who do you turn to in this stage for for sort of early careers I the interesting thing is I, I, I was looking at a different sector, which was around uh, sort of brands and, and sponsorship. Um, and there's been a real kind of like uptick in the number of companies that are providing services to brands in order to, to connect with the current mm. generation that's coming out. Um, and I think actually, so when you do ask the question, well, who should be there to support them? I think that's an open playing field at the moment. You know, I don't think you can turn around and say, actually, well, given that there's going to be a problem in, in, in uh, new recruits in, into the industry, oh, well, we just talk to the university. I think we've seen over the last 10 years emerging kind of like grad recruitment companies and programs that come out of that, which recognise that that's not the point of which you access the communication with that generation. So I think there's a real opportunity for the likes of, of, of Lucy and, and, and others to actually you know, build partnerships and affiliations that actually enable a kind of like an almost you know, an environment that is going to enable that generation to build up the skill sets and actually be match fit for when the economy does return, which, you know, three, six, nine, who knows when that's actually going to be. So, so you know, as much as there's, there's, there's pessimism and rightly so, I do actually think there's some really interesting opportunities that are going to emerge over the next um, uh, six, nine months. Definitely. I mean, I was looking yesterday at um, some sort of statistics around or, or valuations of markets and um, this idea of uh, education as a benefit, which we've had um, Guild Education on the podcast before, who are a unicorn company from the US who uh, help corporates like Starbucks use degree programs to retain their best talent. So they, uh, the corporates essentially underwrite the uh, education experience. Um and that, if you bundle in um, OPM uh, and academic, what they've called um, public-private partnership markets, Holon IQ um, estimate that's worth seven billion US dollars, um, and again is being sort of accelerated by the sort of impact of COVID nineteen. So um, yeah, some some sort of innovation obviously coming out of this situation as we've talked about. Um, does anyone else have any points on either what we've got right and what we've got wrong along the way or uh, in terms of learning and technology or um, thinking about this podcast, we're very much about, you know, especially in this series where adult education intersects with technology. So 
From all of your experience, what's been the role of technology? Is it just about connecting parts of the ecosystem or is there something else that you'd like to remind our listeners about when it comes to technology? Um, if I may. Yeah, please. Uh, so um, during the course of um, taking online courses and seeing the need of technology, um, I've understood that there's also a place for, this might be relating to your question or out of it, but I just felt like to say, um, I kind of feel like a lot of people, uh, students in particular, are quite confused. Um, some of them have actually um, graduated studying a course that they didn't actually want to, but just, you know, my parents mm -hmm. said I should just do it and just come out of it and, you know, go into the labor market that they actually didn't want to. And now they have an opportunity to now, like, study or take a course online out of passion, like um, Jenna said when she said uh, photography and video um, recording. So their choice now is like, do I still go in line with the career path that I was going on that I didn't even want to, and now I'm faced with the opportunity now to diversify and like actually learn a particular skill that could actually become my career. So I think it's also a place for um, established people in a particular field to probably uh, link them to be mentors, you know, probably get a platform where people that are actually linked, you know, in not the um, traditional or conventional and educational system. Because some people may be a career of passion and of um, a skill they learned and they actually loved it. You know, while people have careers that are just doing it for the bills and, you know, probably just enduring um, the career. So I feel um, in relation to what Richard said, a particular generation right now, they're they're kind of bold, you know, and they're not fitting. When others are zigging, they're zagging. You know, if I may use that uh, phrase, they're not <laughs> the, con the, the conventional um, go to school. Oh, I love what I'm studying. They, they're actually really curious and inquisitive. So uh, I think this is a very timely period where a particular generation of students and people will actually say, oh, 2020 was the year that I actually know where this is what I'm actually good at. If I had come out of university or if I had finished school, I would have actually had a very terrible and miserable life. So <laughs> <laughs> technology right now could actually be that um, catalyst and enzyme that could actually help people to find their uh, proposed path. That's the same. I absolutely love that. I don't think I've ever heard anything as brilliant as those people that are zigging uh, and now zagging. And, and actually, what an optimistic uh, message. And, um, you know, this situation perhaps freeing us up from the sort of railway tracks we were on before. So mm. and anyone else have any uh, messages of, of, of sort of hope before we wrap up? <laughs> I, I know I, all I was going to say is that the that, that UFI have been, uh, have believed technology has a staggering impact around learning and development in the, in, in the workforce. And we've been doing this for, for quite a number of years now. And we have just celebrated putting um, funds behind over 200 organizations recently. Um, and I'd encourage anyone to go over to the UFI website where you can look at the strategy and the investment thesis because, you know, technology does have a massive role to play in this. Um, and I think, you know, going back to, and I'd love to be able to verify the stat, but if we have actually received sort of two years worth of digital upskilling in the last two months, then there's a real opportunity that this, uh, uh, that developing solutions in this space is uh, really going to uh, help and support us uh, moving out of the uh, sort of, the uncertain economic conditions at the moment. Yeah, I was just going to follow up on what Femi was was saying. In some ways, there's a there's a challenge to universities and the the, 
traditional approach to education at the moment to to really step up and innovate out of a crisis you know comes comes innovation and I, I can see that a lot of people will maybe look at traditional educational routes and think do I need to do things in the same way um, we've, we've got uh, uh, in the UK, certainly, almost a, a, a conveyor belt into university as a, a, a kind of standard route at the moment. Mm. And I wonder whether people will consider that more carefully uh, following this crisis and really think about the other options and the ways that they could approach their um, learning, their upskilling and, and how they make their way into a career that they would really, really love rather than just taking that next step that everyone else in their peer group is taking of going to university to to do something that might not lead them where they really want to be in the future. I think it's really exciting that you know on the one hand you've got you know the young people looking you know around for other ways of doing things zagging if you like um, okay. and then on the, on the other you know the um, you know companies um, especially large ones are suddenly finding that you know some of these other ways of working that have been enabled by um, you know, technology and then forced on them by um, by COVID, you know, are, are, do, do work quite well. Um, and uh, whether that's in in learning or actually just in in, in work, you know, there's this huge opportunity with with both sides looking for you know different ways of doing things and being open to to what is possible. And and just to wrap up, we I always like to ask our guests, uh, you know, if there are any resources or books or um, you know. Uh, other things that you've seen or heard that you would like to share with uh, our listeners and uh, perhaps uh, we'll try and keep it on an uplifting um, end to the episode and so mine yesterday I watched a conversation on the TED channel between um, the digital minister of Taiwan uh, and the host there and they were talking about you know how they've tackled covid with the use of technology and so that touched everything from the trust uh, part of the economy as we've talked about um, but also how to tackle disinformation um, and also talks about sort of education skills so um, I definitely recommend people to go and uh, watch that or listen to that if you have a few minutes um, anyone else like to throw anything else in the ring before we wrap up um, I just encourage sort of young people maybe to to look at how businesses are communicating now and how they're marketing and is it more digitally are they going to have to do more stuff remotely and try and observe that and see what companies are looking for and can they develop any skills that's going to help them moving forward I think for me having like recently gone through interviews and stuff like that a few years ago when I came out of university you always get asked what are you going to bring to this company Mm. and if you can use this time um, in this pandemic to be able to observe how businesses are pivoting and what you can bring to that and enhance that um and, and use your own sort of, um, you know, ideas and creativity moving forward in this new sort of digital sphere that I think a lot of companies are going to find themselves functioning more and more in moving forward. I would go even further than that and say, you know, because a lot of the companies don't know what they're looking for. And if you've got the you know, ability to bring something to a company, go out and, and approach them about it. Yeah, definitely. 
I think, I think it's the start of a conversation. I think there's, there's, you know, certainly um, uh, Nick and I are certainly uh, a bit further on in our career, shall we say? But I think this is a conversation that that, that needs to happen. I don't think enough focus is being put on it. And and what does worry me that you know, and, and there's a broader conversation, but you know, just throwing money at a solution um, is not necessarily the smartest way of approaching it. And I think actually, if you can actually engage the community that we're actually talking about, that actually maybe we can really come up with some compelling solutions. Um, and, and inspiration, I think it was a conversation I had with the host of this podcast yesterday, which was, you know, potentially that, you know, seeing sort of education, whether it's work based or in school, is actually becoming or emerging as part of a sort of a company purpose provided. So previously it was things like company cars and healthcare, but actually we're going to start to see this type of, you know, sort of education, um, um, you know, become a sort of a perk that companies recognize that employees in society actually want. Maybe that's another podcast, I think. Yeah, that's definitely another podcast. And what's interesting about that is so previously that perk would be you as the direct recipient. And now people are looking at that as, you know, something that would be a perk that you could um, supply to your whole family and and, and your children if you have them. So uh, taking away some of the, the internal stress in the household at the moment, if people are trying to sort of homeschool and uh, be productive for their employer. So, yeah, we'll definitely come back to that one anyway. Um, Femi, what's been the best resources that you've uh, come across during your time and what would you like to share with our listeners? I would say that uh, resources, Microsoft has been outstanding and really um, concerned genuinely. It's more like I kind of feel Microsoft anticipated what was about to happen, which is quite weird. Uh, So I've um, understood that educators, or if you're an educator, or if you see your life, you see your line going in the line of the educator, you should um, check out their um, uh, Microsoft Educator community. Uh, it's a community of um, educators that are needed right now in this timely um, season. Um, I would also say um, networking is also really important. And um, to any student or to any professional that's out there, um, the internet has made the world quite small. You know, we always say the world is small, the world is small. But uh, I think I understand that it became smaller because of the internet and I'm just taking one step at a time so I have understood that uh, Microsoft, the internet and self-development is what I, like, I'm learning to do and I hope anyone could like partner with me you know, to continue. Fantastic, well um, I think that will bring us to the end of the episode and it's been uh, really interesting to hear both uh, the experiences of Femi and Jenna on this episode but then also some of the solutions that are being developed so as always we'll throw all the references that have been mentioned on this podcast into our show notes Um, and that's it I think so without uh, further ado thank you to everyone Um, and yeah it's Friday as we record this so enjoy your weekend thank you That's all for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening in and sending your listener voicemails in. UFI Voctec Trust for supporting and this week's guests for being brilliant. For further reading around this week's chat, do go to theedtechpodcast.com where we list out all the resources mentioned by our guests. We've got more episodes coming in our Voctech series, both around investors in the vocational learning technology space and projects focused on assisting the workforce through technology. So make sure you hit subscribe and until then, bye bye.